between prepping ingredients, setting the table, and planning your tomorrow. Sometimes you need an extra hand with dinner. Delta Faucet is here to help. Just ask your connected home device to fill your pasta pot with Delta Faucet Voice IQ technology and fill it with the perfect amount of water. Done. Visit deltafaucet.com slash voice IQ to see how Voice IQ can fill your dog's bowl, wash your hands, and more. And you're on right now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. Coming to you from the shores of Florida's beautiful Treasure Coast and bringing you the news behind the news, the story behind the story. Here to convince you that reality is usually scoffed at and conventional wisdom is often just an illusion. We're live on iHeartRadio, on demand on iTunes, TuneIn, Spreaker, Spotify, and all your favorite directories. Follow me on Twitter at right now, Jim Dawes. Or shoot me an email. The address is right now, Jim Dawes at gmail.com. Or you can call the vent line and raise hell at 772-245-0750. That's 772-245-0750. Well, we've got a very special show for you today. Our guest in the second half is going to be Joel B. Pollock, editor-at-large for Breitbart and author of the new book, Red November, Will America Vote Red for Trump or Red for Socialism? And you're going to want to hear that. I want to start today's show by uh, acknowledging and uh, the death of John Lewis and sending my condolences and wishing him uh, um, a swift reward in heaven uh, for the work he did. I knew John Lewis. Um, uh, in my work as a head of the Atlanta Firefighters Association, I had a lot of interactions with him, and I've had conversations with him. He actually lived in my neighborhood. Uh, he lived in Buckhead and shopped at uh, at the same store that I did. He was a decent man, uh, and and um, his passing is worth note. When he was when he was a young man, he was a great leader of the civil rights movement. The problem with John Lewis is after he had won his battle for civil rights, he never gave up the fight and he never reconciled himself to his victory or tried to capitalize on the the fruits of that victory. He continued fighting that same battle for decades after it was won. He was, of course, the leader of uh, Martin Luther King's um, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. How how times have changed, how protests have changed. And uh, I've got a clip here. This is from the March on Washington where John Lewis, at just 23 years old, was given a prominent speaking position. We march today for jobs and freedom. But we have nothing to be proud of. But hundreds and thousands of our brothers are not here. For they're receiving starvation wages or no wages at all. Those who have said be patient and wait, we must say that we cannot be patient. We do not want our freedom gradually, but we want to be free now. The time will come when we will not confine our margin to Washington, 
We will march through the south, through the streets of Jackson, through the streets of Danville, through the streets of Cambridge, through the streets of Birmingham. We must say, wake up, America, wake up, for we cannot stop, and we will not and cannot be patient. If John Lewis had just recognized the fact that um, the the country uh, agreed with him, and blacks uh, after the civil rights movement were given um, equality under the law, now he obviously didn't change every racist's heart, but he certainly um, changed the nation. And instead of uh, reconciling with his former foes or, or trying to reach out in um, reconciliation, he continued to fight that fight and really uh, became sort of a tragic figure uh, for decades after the Civil Rights Movement, where he was just used as an icon to, uh, to continue to, uh, instead of, um, you know, sowing peace, so division and um, and resentment, but uh, I, you know I, I don't I don't hate John Lewis for that. I prefer to remember uh, the great deeds that he did in the 1960s as a young man, and uh, I certainly wish him and his family well. So we got to talk about the. The anarchy in the streets in the, uh, the Pacific Northwest, of course, that has been the the news all weekend. After you know weeks and weeks of violent riots in the streets of our cities by Marxist anarchists, Black Lives Matter, and Antifa, the Democrats have finally found something that uh, outrages them. They are outraged that the president has sent federal officers into. Portland and begun arresting these anarchists that have been attacking the federal courthouse there for night after night. They've got extensive intelligence on who these people are and the crimes that they've committed. And the president has sent in federal law enforcement officers, many from the um, border patrol to, uh, to go start uh, arresting them and uh, beginning their, their interaction with the criminal justice system. And this has been characterized by the mayor of Portland, Ted Wheeler, and the governor of Washington as um, stormtroopers and, uh, and uh, abductions because when the federal law enforcement officers go out onto the streets, they're using unmarked vehicles. And the reason, of course, they're using unmarked vehicles is because when you uh, when you use um, marked vehicles, those become targets for the for the anarchists, and we've seen dozens of them destroyed, burned, defaced. And of course, you know if they're if they're in marked vehicles, the uh, the Antifa has uh, eyes on the streets and will uh, notify people of their movements. And so what they've been doing is, uh, is, is going out. It, and this is in the middle of the night, 2 a.m. They, they claim these protesters are peaceful protesters on the streets dressed in black with their faces covered and helmets on. 
many times carrying weapons at 2 a.m. in the morning. And, and the mayor of Portland has turned a blind eye to this for months, actually years now, as Antifa has terrorized the law-abiding citizens of Portland. And, uh, and the, this current unrest has been going on for 50 nights, 50 nights straight. They've been out on the streets graffitiing uh, public buildings, busting windows, assaulting citizens, and, uh, and setting fires. And now that uh, the federal government has stepped in because the local uh, mayor won't do his job, Nancy is outraged, and the governor of Washington is outraged. Nancy took to Twitter and said, Unidentified stormtroopers, unmarked cars, kidnapping protesters, causing severe injuries in response to graffiti. Well, the graffiti is bad enough. They are absolutely defacing public buildings, you know, to a degree that, you know, this statement minimizes. But they're not just engaging in graffiti. They're burning things down. Over the weekend, they attacked the uh, Portland Police Association's headquarters, the union representing Portland police officers, and uh, and busted through the boarded-up windows and set fire to it. And then, finally, the mayor uh, declared a riot. But but this was, you know, not out of the ordinary. This has been going on for, for days and days. But you got Nancy Pelosi on her Twitter account calling federal law enforcement officers stormtroopers and decrying the fact that they're using unmarked cars as using as if giving notice to uh, f- lawbreakers is required. She refers to their arrest as kidnapping. Kidnapping. This is the Speaker of the House of Representatives, the highest-ranking Democrat in the country, accuses federal officers making arrests, providing due process of kidnapping. She says these are not the actions of a Democratic Republic. You know what's not the actions of a Democratic Republic, Nancy? For the government to abandon its responsibility to maintain law and order like what's what's going on in portland and seattle san francisco and minnesota and new york and minneapolis and new york city trump and his stormtroopers must be stopped says nancy pelosi i mean you just can't even imagine how unhinged the democrat party has become for them to put out something like that This endangers law enforcement officers by characterizing them, mischaracterizing them as somehow stormtroopers and illegitimate for arresting people for obvious lawbreaking is just unbelievable. Here's a clip from the march that took place uh, in Portland where these Antifa anarchists were marching over to to the Portland police headquarters. And, uh, and this is what they have in mind. Keep this in mind when, when you hear Nancy Pelosi and Ted Wheeler and these other Democrats, the, the Oregon congressional delegation, say that these are just peaceful protesters. Yeah, 
Every city, every town, burn the precincts to the ground. Does that sound like a peaceful protest to you? Out in the streets at 2 a.m. in the morning, dressed in black block uniform. Black block is the, uh, the violent arm of Antifa and the, <laughs> the actual stormtroopers for the Democrat Party. Ted Wheeler absolutely refused to do anything about this. He never installed a curfew in Portland to protect people's property and their their safety. I mean, that's the basic thing you do when you've got uncontrolled civil unrest is you institute a curfew so that you give the law enforcement officers a fighting chance because then anybody out on the street is subject to arrest. I saw one clip where this uh, Black Lives Matter protest was taunting federal officers defending the federal courthouse in Portland and had a baby and was uh, was taunting the federal officers to do something about it while she held this baby up in front of her. Where have you seen that tactic before? Using babies as human shields. No curfew. Ted Wheeler and the council in Portland passed a law that the Portland Police Department couldn't even use tear gas. And you can't really draw any conclusion other than uh, Ted Wheeler is Antifa. You know, all of these movements are what they call leaderless resistance. You don't have to declare yourself a member. You just support the cause and and uh, and advance the cause through your actions, and that's exactly what Ted Wheeler's been doing. Here's a clip from uh, Ken Cuccinelli. He's the uh, deputy director of the Department of Homeland Security, uh, talking about what's really going on in Portland. It it includes things like advancing more police to places like Portland, and and that's exactly what we did there. And we we have uh, buildings and property and people we defend all over the country, or 9,000 locations all over the country, and DHS is the largest law enforcement organization. We don't, by the way, have any secret police, um, as the senator referred to. Um, We've been very openly trying to keep the law law enforced. And, you know, it's interesting to say— Gee, we provoked violence when um, this has been going on longer than the, the, the rains for Noah's Ark. This has been more than 40 days in a row in Portland. And w- we were not there in significant force until the last few weeks as things continue to escalate. And what we've seen around the country is where responsible policing is advanced, violence recedes. And Portland hasn't gotten that memo, nor have a lot of other cities. And the president is determined to do what we can within our jurisdiction to help restore peace to these beleaguered cities. So wait a second. So that's their new line. They're they're saying that uh, by deploying federal law enforcement to enforce federal laws and arrest people for violating federal laws, that Donald Trump is escalating the violence. What he's really arguing for, Ted Wheeler in Portland, is is for the federal um, authorities to allow Antifa and Black Lives Matter to burn that federal courthouse to the ground. 
in every facility that has been abandoned. They have, have attempted to do that. Priest, police precincts, the police association's headquarters. And I just don't know how this is going to play out in November. I can't imagine that the good citizens of Oregon are going to put up with this. They can't watch what's actually going on. Surely they can't be so brainwashed by their media that they, they think that this that the uh, the Antifa are the good guys. But I could be wrong. These people could be just that deranged and brainwashed by the media. we got to run out to a break. Stick with us. We'll be right back. December 16th, 1773. And now, what really happened at the Boston Tea Party? What are they doing? They're throwing all the king's tea and coffee to the harbor to protest taxation without representation. Do you think we should stop them? I really like my coffee. Come on, it's not American Pride Roasters. Yeah, that would be a trebuchet mockery. American Pride Roasters, the choice coffee of real American patriots for over 250 years. That's right. Get yours today at AmericanPrideRoaster.com. No one likes to think about disasters or what could happen to you or your family if you find yourself in the middle of one. Look around you. Don't you wish that uh, maybe a few months ago you had gone to preparewithmojo50.com and picked up an emergency food supply? The reason is not that you're panicked. The reason is that you want to be ready for anything. Look what happened at the grocery stores in the last few weeks. There are others out there who tend to lose their minds when things aren't normal. You, however are smart. You know how to do things the right way. You know how to be prepared. You know how to take care of your family and it shows. I mean, you listen to Mojo 5.0. So go to preparewithmojo50.com. You will find a special deal for you as a Mojo listener on a food supply, an emergency food supply that will ensure that you have enough food for you and your family for months however long you decide you need the supply for. It really is a great deal and it's about being ready for anything. Preparewithmojo50.com. Go to prepare with mojo50.com it'll take you to my patriot food supply and you'll save a hundred dollars off of a four-week food supply normally 297 dollars you'll get it for just 197 dollars and you'll get you'll get free shipping and handling so uh you know this this election is going to play out in the upper midwest the states of uh, uh, minnesota michigan wisconsin and and in pennsylvania as well and uh, and those are strong union states, uh, f- some of the f- very few remaining strong union states. And those uh, those union workers have been hammered by globalism that uh, was a, a a bipartisan project of the establishment Democrat and Republican parties. And uh, they are the ones that are responsible for electing Donald Trump to the presidency in 2016. So the question now is whether or not those union Voters are going to switch over to Joe Biden. Joe Biden has, throughout his entire career, uh, fashioned himself as a strong union man. And he has had union support, uh, not because he's done much for working men and women, but because he has cultivated relationships with the, the union leaders as I said on Friday's show, the IFF is one of his biggest backers, and I used to be an, a uh, state officer in the IAFF. And I can tell you that uh, the rank and file uh, of my union, both on the 
city and state level in Georgia, uh, did not support Democrats. They were a, a staunchly Republican uh, voting uh, voters, and and uh, when I was officer there, I uh, I I reflected that. I I uh, made relationships with Republicans in the House State House in Georgia. But Biden is uh, is. I think he's losing the union vote because as this campaign goes on, he's being exposed more and more for his support of NAFTA that uh, ships so many hundreds of thousands of American jobs overseas. He wanted the TPP that was, uh, you know, a big project of the Obama administration that would have gutted the remaining manufacturing jobs in this country. He supported China's entry into the World Trade Organization and uh, most favored trading status for China. And now he's being led around by the nose by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who he's put in charge of his, his climate agenda, which means that she's in charge of his energy policy. And uh, and one of the few remaining strongholds of um, union labor in this country is the energy sector, especially in Pennsylvania and Ohio and Texas. And you wonder, now that the Democrats have long ago turned their back on union members in, in favor of their radical environmental agenda, are these union voters going to allow themselves to be hoodwinked? I've got a clip here. This is uh, Joe Biden. He's speaking to a black union. Now, that's a black union, a racially identified union is the worst possible thing you could have for a union. Unions should not be concerning themselves with social justice issues. Unions are there to negotiate on behalf of their memberships for pay benefits and working conditions. And if you're going to be effective in doing that, you've got to stand in solidarity. You, you can't allow yourselves to be divided along race of all things. Here's uh, here's Joe Biden. This election is about real solutions to rebuild to come back stronger, not just rebuild what it was before, rebuild back better. Yesterday I laid out the second pillar, a $2 trillion plan to modernize our infrastructure and deal with the existential threat of climate change. By creating- well, well, the president has been trying to push through a, a trillion-dollar deal for infrastructure, and this man's party has been blocking it at every turn. Good-paying union jobs that, one, restore our crumbling roads and bridges and ports. To make it faster, cheaper, and cleaner to transport American-made goods. Build and install 500,000 charging stations across the country. Lay the lines for the second great railroad revolution. The second great railroad revolution. He's promising to, to increase our railroad infrastructure, which I would agree with. But the problem is the Obama administration through tens, literally, no, hundreds of billions of dollars of the state of California in order to just build a, uh, a rapid rail from Los Angeles to Sacramento. It's probably three or 400 miles. They couldn't do it. 
They had decades to develop this project. And when the federal federal government finally stepped in and started throwing money at it, they they ended up having to uh, to scrap the project because these Democrats were so beholding to these environmental radicals that they couldn't get through the permits without angering them. And they are beholding. They they long ago abandoned working people in favor of their environmental constituents. Of course, they opposed, including Biden, the Keystone and the XL pipeline. And, uh, and they've promised to keep American fossil fuels in the ground. There are so many, 7 million jobs associated with the energy sector that Joe Biden would just wreck because a bartender from the Bronx, actually from Westchester County, is demanding it. Hey, we got to run out to a break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Joel B. Pollock to discuss his new book, Red November, will the country vote red for Trump or red for socialism? You're going to want to hear this, and you're going to want to get that book. Stick with us. We'll be right back on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo 5.0 Radio Network. Whether you have your own bathroom or you share one with your family, a little extra help keeping the bathroom sink, counter, and mirror clean goes a long way. And Viva paper towels are for the long haul. They're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. And they clean like cloth, helping you keep the surfaces in your bathroom dry and fingerprint and toothpaste free. For an exceptional bathroom clean, there's Viva paper towels. Visit vivatowels.com to learn more. And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. Your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an America first perspective. Here in the United States, we are alarmed by the new calls to adopt socialism in our country. America was founded on liberty and independence and not government coercion, domination, and control. We are born free and we will stay free. Tonight, we renew our resolve that America will never be a socialist country. Well, that assertion that the president made at the State of the Union address while the Democrats sat on their hands and glared at him is about to be put to the test because socialism is, in fact, on the ballot this November as the Democrats have converted old centrist Joe Biden into their new standard bearer for the woke Democrat Party. To discuss this, we're joined now by Joel B. Pollack, senior editor-at-large for Breitbart News and author of six books, including his latest and greatest, Red November, Will the Country Vote Red for Trump or Red for Socialism? Joel, thanks for joining us. 
Thank you. Latest and greatest. I appreciate that. <laughs> oh, man, it was a great book. No, this was a great book. I, I read it over the weekend. Uh, I, I actually read about half of it and listened to the other half. Great narration oh, by cool. uh, Les, Les Con, Conway Conry. Conry. Uh, yeah, he's very good. Did a fantastic job. But the thing I really love about this book is, you know, we've been suffering from a, a, a frantic news cycle uh, in the era of Trump and this uh, Democrat resistance. And your book sort of uh, lays it out, makes sense of it, does a, a deep analysis, but uh, very easy read. And uh, I'm going to get the hardcover because this is uh, something that you're going to need to have in your collection to uh, to make sense of all of this. So- well, thank you. I, I, that's what I intended to, you know, like when I, my favorite books are the kind of books you can pick up years from now or years after they're written and they just make sense and they, they bring you something new every time you pick them up. And so I intended that this book to be that kind of a look at our present era, almost as if looking back at it through history. I read a lot of these conservative books, and a lot of times they uh, rely on hyperbole and uh, exaggeration to make the point. But, you know, in this era, uh, the the truth is actually stranger than fiction. And the, under, <laughs> sure is. the understated way that you presented everything uh, just really drove home the point. So, I mean, I can't recommend the book enough. So I guess I just start by uh, asking you to uh, to give us a broad overview of how you think the Democrats have transformed their party into a uh, a, a far less social, a far left socialist uh, organization, and how you think that they are going to uh, convert old centrist Joe Biden into their new standard bearer. Well, let's start with the second half of that. I mean, Joe Biden has. He's not really even been a centrist. I mean, when he started his campaign, he was asked by reporters, are you a moderate? And he said, no, I'm not a moderate. I wish they'd called me a moderate. It would have been easier to win re-election in Delaware as a moderate. I, I've been a liberal, but you can't call yourself a liberal anymore because liberal is socialist. So I've just been a Obama-Biden Obama Democrat. That's what he said. I'm, I'm paraphrasing only slightly. And what he meant was he's just always been where the party goes. He's been a climber within the Democratic Party. Wherever the leadership of the party has wanted to go, he's gone. And he's a little bit of an iconoclast, so he's tried little ways to get around, maybe taken advantage politically, but he's basically stayed within the mainstream of the Democratic Party. But the Joe Biden we're seeing today is not the same character of the last half century. And that's how long he's been in politics, 48 years. Joe Biden of today is basically being managed by his own campaign, and he barely emerges from his basement in Wilmington. He had never won a primary contest before South Carolina, but the party establishment decided that he had to be the candidate. Now, they did that while overcoming Bernie Sanders, and Bernie Sanders had built up a huge movement. He had strung together a series of victories, the first candidate ever to go one, two, three in the first primary contest. But... Bernie Sanders could not be the nominee for the Democratic establishment. They did not want to give up control to someone who wasn't even a Democrat. Remember, Bernie Sanders is not a Democrat. He's an independent. He's a socialist. He's never been part of the party. And they don't want to give power to somebody who's never had to do anything for the party and who has no favors he owes to anybody, and they don't control him. So they move him aside after South Carolina. They all give up their campaigns. They come behind Joe Biden. And then they have a problem because Bernie Sanders, even though he's a socialist and outside the party, represents the party's base. That's where the voters of the party are. And so in order to win that base, to get them excited to come out for Joe Biden, who nobody was really excited for, 
Joe Biden and the party have had to move left on policy. They're prepared to do that because they can always move back to the center after the election, or maybe they can just hang on to power. I'm not even sure they care as much what the policies are. They just want the power. And so they're happy to go along with what Joe Biden is now calling. I mean, this is, this is not a centrist at all. He's now calling revolutionary institutional changes. They're happy to go along with that as long as they can be the ones in control. Well, they call themselves progressives, and I hate the fact that the um, Republicans and the right have taken up that term and, and use it. It, uh, it is anything but progressive when they've adopted uh, the policies of socialism and Marxism that uh, are responsible for more death and repression and poverty than any other ideology in our history. And I think it's uh, right. very telling that AOC and the squad have kind of become the ideological thought leaders for the Democrat party. And that was clearly illustrated when you wrote about in your book that, uh, a lot of these old line centrist Democrats like, uh, John Delaney and Michael Bennett and John Hickenlooper were actually booed off the stage at many of these uh, state conventions. Yeah. Uh, Delaney and Hickenlooper went to the California democratic convention. And when they tried to tell people that socialism doesn't work, that's literally what happened. They got booed off the stage now, you might think, well, that's just California. But actually, California isn't even, by some measures, the most radical place in the union. I mean, Gavin Newsom, who's a, a left-wing governor, as far left as they come in some ways, he, he was the first mayor when he was mayor of San Francisco to legalize gay marriage. So he's pretty left. He canceled the high-speed rail program that Obama and Biden had started. And he said at the beginning of his term as governor, you know, we just can't afford this. It's going to take too long cost too much, take too long, all kinds of problems with it. Well, guess what Biden's running on? He's running on it again. I mean, <laughs> Biden is running on a promise to build high-speed rail. He called it the second generation of railroads. It's a form of transportation nobody wants to use anymore because of coronavirus, right? You don't want to be stuck on a crowded public transport system with a bunch of people who might be sick. And they also tried it. None of that high-speed rail got built. I mean, anywhere in the country. Obama and Biden tried to push it out the door with a lot of federal money, and we haven't yet seen one high-speed rail system come online. So that was only that was only a, a, a segment of rail between Los Angeles and Sacramento, which I think is less than 300 miles. And despite you know the Obama administration throwing hundreds of billions of dollars at California to get it built, uh, they couldn't get past their own regulatory red tape to uh, to get it off the ground. Well, there's all kinds of other problems, right? So there's the right of way. You have to get private farmers and other landowners to give up their property rights to build this railroad. Then there are the problems once you get to the cities. You know, they were stringing this railroad in the rural areas, but once you get into the cities, you can't go as fast because the residents complain about the noise and the danger, so you have to slow down. Now you're not going that fast anymore. You know, they advertised this train as going between San Francisco and L.A. in less than three hours, but then once they started adding up all the slow stretches, it started to go more than three hours and even four hours, who knows. And when you look at the cost of an air ticket on Southwest Airlines, if you have to go from one city to another, some days that ticket is you know, under $50. Why would you pay $200, which is I think the estimated subsidized cost of a rail ticket, why would you pay $200 to take four or five hours to get somewhere that takes one hour in an airplane and costs 50 bucks? I think old Joe so Biden's they, just they, trying to throw this as a sop to uh, organized labor that he claims to be uh, one of his you know, core constituencies. Uh, having been an old union uh, president myself, I can tell you that the rank and file is, uh, hasn't been voting Democrat for some time ever since uh, the Democrats That's threw them overboard. What, what kind of union, 
What kind of union were you president of? I was state president in Georgia for the firefighters and uh, president for the city of Atlanta firefighters as well. The IAFF, the big backer of Joe Biden, the the uh, the ones that are really getting them off the ground. And I can tell you, a lot of those uh, those guys you see standing out in uh, firefighters for Joe Biden's shirt are not, in fact, firefighters. They're uh, they're just campaign operatives putting the shirts on. <laughs> it's interesting because I did see the firefighters at various Biden events along the way. You know, it's it's interesting. He has some union support, but as you mentioned, I think there are a lot of union workers who are concerned. Of course, the police unions are concerned about a Democratic victory. And then you've got a situation in a lot of these Midwestern states that have union labor that's connected to the fossil fuel industry, where a lot of the union workers are doing quite well, or were at least until recently, because of the expansion of fracking and shale oil and all of that. And Democrats want to cancel all that. The Democrats want to cancel the Keystone Pipeline. Joe Biden said he'll cancel it on his first day in office. Well, they were can- they were canceling jobs. it quite successfully under the Obama administration. And, of course, Hillary Clinton pl- promised to keep all of the fossil fuel in this country in the ground, which would just leave us at the mercy of, uh, you know, the, uh, the foreign markets uh, buying oil from uh, regimes that uh, have expressed their hatred for America. No, I, I think uh, working people have have gotten the clue. The question is whether or not there's going to be enough of them in those upper Midwest swing, swing states to uh, to carry the day. Well, we will see. I will say this. We've never had an election in circumstances as tough as this before, unless you include, you know, the Second World War or maybe the Great Depression. But we are hit by a number of challenges at once, none of which I think any president could have prevented. Or none of which and I think are by accident. Yeah, they might not be accidental. Well, I tell you one thing that's deliberate. The Democrats and the media deliberately made it harder for the Trump administration to handle this crisis or these crises because they committed from the outset that they were not going to help Trump. And I've, you know, you can see that publicly, but I've also spoken privately to people, and I do have some friends on the other side, and they said, "Oh yeah, we're definitely not going to help at all. We think in fact that people should not listen to the president, people shouldn't do what he says." So they were deliberately trying to undermine him. Well, far from uh, helping, you detail in your book how as soon as the president came out with a plan and started getting some traction, you know, to unite the country, uh, Bernie and and Joe Biden and all of the other uh, high-level Democrats uh, came out and um, declared that he was illegitimate and and should not, you know, be leading the nation during this crisis. You're exactly right. You really did read the book, yes. (laughs) I write about that, how— Right after Trump gave his Oval Office speech, Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders came out the next day with speeches. Instead of offering their support to the president in a time of crisis, which would have been smart politically because the country was in a mood for unity, people were afraid, they came out and they attacked the president. And I thought they missed a huge opportunity there. Nancy Pelosi gave a speech nationwide, televised the next day, and she didn't even mention the president. It was as if he didn't exist. And I think that attitude might prove the Democrats' undoing. I wouldn't pay too much attention to polls right now. We don't know how this thing's going to turn out. I do know that nobody's ever run as radical a campaign as Joe Biden, and nobody's ever run against the country in the way Democrats are doing and won. You know, when FDR ran, even when Barack Obama ran during a moment of crisis, they presented themselves as within the mainstream. Obama was very careful about that. You know, before he was the nominee, he got away with saying things like he wouldn't wear a flag pin and he wouldn't. There was a famous picture of him not putting his hand on his heart during the Pledge of Allegiance or the National Anthem. You know, he wanted to be all woke and left-wing and skeptical about the country. 
But he put all that stuff away when it came to the general election. He knew he had to shape up. He knew he had to convince Americans that he was within the mainstream, otherwise they wouldn't vote for him. We don't see Joe Biden doing that. Maybe he thinks he can ride on his reputation of 50 years. But right now, he's moving further and further to the left. And no one's ever done that in this country and won. No one's ever done what he's trying to do to call the country racist, which he literally did. He said that his goal is to rip out the roots of systemic racism in America, which is a meaningless phrase except to say that it hates America. Said that on 4th of July. Nobody ever runs on that platform and wins. Yeah, yeah, nobody understands it. Nobody runs on that platform and wins. So I, I think people should just be careful of these polls. I think a lot of people aren't telling pollsters what they really intend to do. Well, having commissioned many polls myself, I can tell you they're expensive, and uh, and you don't pay a pollster to deliver bad news to you. At the very least, they're going to have uh, tabs in there available that they can spend the results in your favor. Um, and and I, I don't think we can trust these polls. We have seen uh, the media and bond rating agencies and everybody else totally corrupted in this uh, resistance fever, and, uh, and I'm not going to believe the polls and <laughs> until the one on November 3rd that we may not get the results of for weeks and weeks if the Democrats get their mail-in voting schemes enacted. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So I think we're going to see a lot more happen, a lot of ups and downs in this election before it's over. And really, in some ways, it's just getting started. Well, I want to talk to you a little bit. And we, we, we covered the coronavirus. I'm not saying that the coronavirus is a hoax, but I can tell you that the Democrats have weaponized it, and uh, and that's very evident. But this issue of law and order that uh, the last time we saw this level of unrest in our streets was uh, back in the late 60s. And uh, and Richard Nixon rode that unrest and the, the public rejection of, uh, of that unrest right into the White House. What effect do you think all of this lawlessness in these Democrat cities across the country is going to have on the election? Well, I think it's going to be very harmful for Democrats because... What Trump is saying, and I think correctly, is that if you want more of what you're seeing in Democrat cities, you just elect more Democrats and you get more of that. And there's no real pushback against it from the Biden campaign. There's no pushback against it from other Democrats. Nobody's really criticizing the riots. Nobody's criticizing the taking down of statues. So that message is sticking. Trump is branding the Democratic Party because they're branding themselves. And I do think it's going to hurt. That's one of the interesting things. You know, you talk about polls, and we can't really trust them, but even with polls that are looking bad for the president, you have a lot of polls that are looking good for Republicans in the House, where there are a lot of House races that are very competitive. You know, and even in the middle of coronavirus, we had a Republican pick up a seat here in California, of all places. I think it was the first time in 22 years that a Republican had flipped a Democratic seat in California. So there's a lot of discontent right now, and the Democrats are making it worse for themselves by failing to control the cities, failing to show that they can govern. And I think for a lot of suburban voters, that's going to be a deal breaker. I was just stunned to see Nancy Pelosi come out calling federal law enforcement officers that were responding to protect federal facilities in Portland, calling them stormtroopers and accusing them of uh, kidnapping people in the middle of the night and such things. I know Joe Biden has, has kept quiet, but you know, if this guy's going to be president of the United States, he's got a responsibility to uh, to condemn this lawlessness. And I wonder, you know, maybe I'm disconnected, uh, you know, having been uh, from a, uh, earlier generations, but I just can't imagine that the, the majorities in these uh, these states like Minnesota and Washington and Oregon 
are going to uh, are, are going to vote for more of this. Yeah, I don't think they will vote for more of it. I think that you may see some surprising pickups in some states for President Trump. Uh, he's definitely going to be competitive in Minnesota. He almost won Minnesota last time. But there are some states where I think people are shifting against this. And you're right, calling federal law enforcement stormtroopers and Gestapo is just really disgusting. Um, it tells you how out of touch with the country Democratic leadership are. They're not being punished for it by the media. The media basically protect Democrats from the consequences of things that they say and do. But people do notice, and some of it does filter through. You know, if I was on the Trump campaign, I would take that conclusion to your book, and I would turn it into a, uh, a 20 or 30-minute infomercial. I'd have either you or Les, uh, you know, narrate that, and I would, I would put it on because it just distills all of the events for the last three years and the rise of the resistance down into uh, perspective in the run-up to this election. And uh, I, I just, oh, yeah. I just can't thank you enough for this book. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get the hardcover and uh, and uh, put it uh, on the shelf with the keepers along uh, alongside Pat Buchanan and uh, and many of the others that uh, that uh, led us, uh, you know, to the America First agenda that we're uh, that we're in today. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you. That's very kind of you to say. And you know what? The, the greatest reward for me is that you enjoyed it so much. That's why I wrote it. That people would enjoy it, learn from it, obviously, and. There are some very serious issues, but you're also trying to make something that will stand the test of time, and I really appreciate that you enjoyed it so much. Well, it is, in fact, uh, going to uh, stand the test of time. So uh, you've also got a Sunday evening uh, podcast or news show on uh, Sirius XM. Uh, what do you got on store for uh, the coming week? You got any guests you'd like to plug? Well, it's interesting. You know, what I try to do on that show, you know, Breitbart has a morning show and an evening show, so we have a lot of news shows. And I'm in charge of the Sunday night lineup. But what I usually try to do is look ahead to the future. So I think you've got Congress coming back. We have to look at a new debate over a new relief package. That'll be interesting. But even more interesting, President Trump is hinting he might drop some new policies on immigration and health care. You know, more than 5 million Americans have lost health insurance because they lost their jobs during this pandemic. So obviously there's going to be a very in a strong interest from the public in, in seeing new health proposals and I think people want an alternative to what the Democrats are offering, which is just more government. Trump is going to come out with something. So I think that could be quite interesting and, and may change the nature of the debate in the race. So I think that's something to look forward to in the next week or 10 days. Yeah, the hour is growing late. And, uh, and the, the health care, I think, is the biggest vulnerability that the Republicans are going to face in this upcoming election. Yes, that's true. So he, I think he knows that. And the fact that he's trying to do something about it is a, is a good sign because it shows you he's engaged with the issue. Joel B. Pollock, senior editor-at-large of Breitbart News, author of six books, including his latest, Red November, Will the Country Vote Red for Trump or Red for Socialism? Joel, thanks for coming on. I hope you come back and join us again. Thank you. I would love that. No one likes to think about disasters or what could happen to you or your family if you find yourself in the middle of one. Look around you. Don't you wish that uh, maybe a few months ago you had gone to preparewithmojo50.com and picked up an emergency food supply? The reason is not that you're panicked. The reason is that you want to be ready for anything. Look what happened at the grocery stores in the last few weeks. There are others out there who tend to lose their minds when things aren't normal. You, however are smart. You know how to do things the right way. You know how to be prepared. You know how to take care
care of your family, and it shows. I mean, you listen to Mojo 5.0. So go to preparewithmojo5.com. You will find a special deal for you as a Mojo listener on a food supply, an emergency food supply that will ensure that you have enough food for you and your family for months or however long you decide you need the supply for. It really is a great deal, and it's about being ready for anything. Preparewithmojo5.com. Preparewithmojo5.com. That'll take you to Patriot Food Supply, and you'll get a special deal for our listeners. $100 off of your four-week emergency food supply. Go to preparewithmojo50.com today. As you make plans this season, consider convenient COVID-19 testing from Quest. Get the same test hospitals use without a doctor visit. Simply order online, select from drive through or at-home options, and get the results sent securely to your phone or computer. It's a great fit for your busy life. With over 20 million COVID-19 tests processed, you can count on Quest. So order your test today at questcovid19.com. That's questcovid19.com. Man, you got to get that book. I'm not joking. I'm not just, you know, pumping this up. This is the best uh, retelling of what happened during this uh, era of the Trump resistance that you will find. And I just can't recommend it enough. So they're talking about who's going to be old Joe Biden's vice presidential running mate, which is to say is actual, uh, the actual person running this country because old Joe Biden is far past the point that, uh, he is going to be able to, to do that. Uh, and there's been a lot of talk lately of Elizabeth Warren, uh, stepping up. Yeah, Focahontas is uh, is uh, coming back off the bench. I'm not sure she has a lot of um, you know real structural advantages for Joe Biden. She's from Massachusetts. That's going to vote Democrat no matter what. She's thoroughly discredited with her identity politics uh, scam, representing herself as an Indian in order to take advantage of hiring and uh, and uh, school appointments. But, um, you know, if they want to, if they want to bring old Ruth Buzzy in, uh, to lecture America, I guess, you know, we could do worse. They're also uh, talking about uh, Kamala Harris who, <laughs> oh my God, have you seen her facelift? She was on, um, on MSNBC over the weekend with, uh, Al Sharpton, who you always have to remember is a, a racial huckster that incited riots in New York city that resulted in people's death, but, uh, she's got a whole new face <laughs> and it is not working out. I don't know, you know, if she's uh, just off of this and uh, rushed to get on TV, uh, responding to the death of uh, John Lewis, but, um, man, she looks like the Joker. She's got her face pulled tight into a, uh, a, a constant grin. She can barely open her eyes. It is something to see. But if Elizabeth Warren is going to be the vice presidential candidate, she's got a, a major issue to overcome, and that is her steadfast opposition to school choice. And the school choice movement is uh, very popular among uh, the Democrat constituency of black voters. Uh, they want out of public schools because public schools have failed them so badly. Elizabeth Warren, uh, you know, a, uh, a, a tool of the teachers unions has, uh, come out of, uh, against school choice in spite of the fact that she sent her own children 
to private schools. When Senator Elizabeth Warren delivered a speech at a campaign event in Atlanta last November, charter school supporters showed up to make their voices heard. Sarah Carpenter, a grandmother and school choice activist who had traveled six hours from Memphis to attend the event, confronted Warren backstage. Because I read that your children went to private school. That clip went viral because Warren wasn't telling the truth. Three weeks earlier, an education researcher named Corey DeAngelis had discovered through online sleuthing that her son, Alex Warren, now 43, had attended Kirby Hall. In a Kirby Hall, um, probably a $40,000 private school. They, all of these, uh, these uh, elite Democrat leaders send their kids to private schools while at the same time denying charter school education. To everybody else, it's just a, another in the long line of hypocrisies that they are perpetrating on everybody else. Well, I have uh, I've withheld comment over this Twitter hack that happened over the weekend. I guess it was uh, last Thursday that it really hit, and it knocked all of these um, almost exclusively uh, left-wing and Democrat uh, blue check mark Twitter handles off of the platform. They had uh, Obama and Joe Biden's accounts hacked. They had a lot of these left-wing celebrities' accounts hacked. Twitter took them down uh, and uh, didn't allow any tweets from their their accounts for almost forty-eight hours. And uh, you know, I'm trying to make sense of this, and I know that uh, as a result of you know the ex- exposés that were conducted by. James O'Keefe and Project Veritas, that Twitter, in fact, is manipulating its algorithm, shadow banning conservatives, and uh, doing its best to suppress any support for Trump or the America First agenda. And I wondered what was going on. And I've, I've got a theory. I think this was a dry run. I think that Twitter is, uh, is you know, putting themselves in a position to uh, censor Donald Trump in the run-up to the election uh, by saying, well, it's just another hack. We uh, we lost control of the platform, and Donald Trump wasn't able to respond to these Democrat attacks as he has been. And that's why I just encourage you to don't count on Twitter alone for your, uh, your news and information. You need to go on over there to Parler and establish yourself an account so that if and when Jack Dorsey decides he's going to bring the hammer down, you'll be ready. It's very telling that uh, they they targeted just left-wingers in this latest attack. Well, that takes us to the end of this edition of Right Now with Jim Dawes. I want to thank you for joining us. I hope you'll come back here again tomorrow right here on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. We'll talk to you then. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. Need an extra hand with dinner? 
Just ask your connected home device to fill your pasta pot, and Delta Faucet Voice IQ technology will fill it with the perfect amount of water. Visit deltafaucet.com slash voice IQ to discover more.